The New York Mets have hired former Blue Jays manager John Gibbons to be their next bench coach. They also filled out the rest of their coaching staff. I'll discuss that more on today's edition of Locked On Mets. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, breaking down all the coaching hires the Mets made in the first segment, the big one, John Gibbons to be the Mets bench coach. Then I'll talk about the other hires that round out the staff. And then finally... In the last segment, I will be breaking down one of those mock trades from yesterday's show and giving you the package that it would take to acquire a tandem of players. Before we get to any of it, though, I'm your host, Ryan Ficklestein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on X at Ficklestein Ryan. You also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. The Mets have done it. They have completed their coaching staff, and the big hire that was announced on Wednesday is that John Gibbons will be Carlos Mendoza's bench coach, and this is the perfect hire by the Mets. Whoever's idea this was, if this was David Stearns, Mendoza, whoever brought Gibbons to the table, this was a fantastic move by this organization because what everyone was saying after the hire Mendoza is, all right, up-and-coming guy, loved the presser, they have to put an experienced bench coach with them. They need someone that has managerial experience, in his ear to be able to help him navigate 162 games in a regular season. And John Gibbons has done that. 11 years of managerial experience, all with the Blue Jays, but split up into two different stints. Over 1,500 career games managed with Toronto. And he does have a a winning record, slightly, but still, he has been a, a solid manager. He managed as recently as 2018, so he's not too far removed from that post like he is getting dug up after having not managed for a really long time where he's not familiar with the modern game. John Gibbons is a really nice find here, and it also is a homecoming because for those of you who aren't aware of John Gibbons, and I'm sure the the older listeners of the show know exactly uh, about Gibbons and the fact that he was drafted 24th overall in the 1980 draft by the New York Mets and that he played in the 1984 season and was – a brief member of the 1986 Mets. It actually was kind of awesome in a very, very, very small sample size. He ended up uh, getting five starts. He played in eight games. The Mets went 8-0 in those games, which I would say is a testament to Gibbons, but really is a testament to the 1986 Mets that were just simply unbelievable. So he just happened to stumble into eight of those wins. But in his five starts, he hit 474, Went nine for 22, four doubles and a home run. Not that it matters, but it's just an interesting little fun fact that this guy was part of that incredible season and that winning. Winning is infectious, and Gibbons was part of it. He was also a bullpen catcher in the playoffs for them. So he was around that team. He got a ring, and then that was really it for his major league career. He spent four more seasons in the minors, ended up being one of those guys that 
is sort of becoming a career minor leaguer where they look at him and they like the guy and they said, why don't you just start coaching for us? And that's what he did. You know, 28 years old, 1990, he becomes a minor league roving catching instructor for the Mets. From there, ends up working his way up through the organization, got the chance to manage for the first time in 1995 in rookie ball and king sport, and he led the team to a championship. Then he gets the, the call up as a manager to high A, uh, with Port St. Lucie, and he wins a championship there. Uh, ends up managing in double A and triple A in the Mets organization. So, you know, had a, a really long run there coaching over a decade from 1990 through 2001. But then 2002 rolled around, wanted to change of pace, ends up getting hired by the Toronto Blue Jays, where he originally works as a bullpen catcher, then worked up to a first base coach, and eventually became their manager after they let go of a manager midseason in 2004. He held on to that job in the 2005, 2006, 2007 seasons, managing the full way through. Then midway through 2008, he got let go himself, and he went on to work as a bench coach with the Royals, then was a minor league manager again before everything came right back around for him, and he got hired He got hired by the Blue Jays again in 2013. Um, he you know, had winning seasons with them in 2014 through 2016, was the manager those really good teams, if you remember, with Josh Donaldson and Jose Bautista and Troy Tulowitzki and uh, Encarnacion, just just all those squads, um, and you know did, did fairly well during that time. They won the division once, made the playoffs twice. Eventually, he got let go. But again, a guy that brings a ton of experience and also, I'm sure, has an affinity for this organization. We'll see if he ever talks to the media. or you know, at any point, I'm sure he's not going to have a presser for him. It's not like introducing your manager, but you know, he might lend an interview to one of the beat guys or something like that. And one of the longtime columnists in one of the New York newspapers. And I'm sure there is, you know, still a uh, part of just the idea of being a Met again that was attracted to John Gibbons that had him decide to come back and, and end up back in the dugout. So you have Gibbons, you have Mendoza as your manager. I feel really good about that going into this upcoming season because you know, Carlos Mendoza, we won't know until he actually manages, but you know, he checked all the boxes, right, of what you'd want in a first-time manager. Having the requisite experience, you know, having the experience in New York with the Yankees, um, all of that good stuff, being able to blend the analytics with the, the gut check, a guy who you know really did impress in the introductory press conference, although that doesn't mean much in the long run. I like Mendoza, but there was always that concern, right? First time manager. You just had to wonder like, is there going to be mistakes that are made because this guy's still getting his feet wet? I think John Gibbons is going to be able to button a lot of that stuff up. He's going to be able to make sure that Mendoza is thinking everything through. He's going to be the perfect guy to not necessarily completely mentoring him in the role because Mendoza is still the boss here, but a guy that can really help, who can answer you know any question that Mendoza might have um, with a, a really vast experience space that, that he'll be pulling from. It's funny because if the Mets just hired John Gibbons as the manager, I don't think people would have been that upset about it, honestly. Just because of the, the managerial experience that he has, um, because of the Mets connection. Now, granted, a lot of people would point to the fact that if you were hiring Gibbons, you probably should have just kept Buck Showalter. But now imagine you get not you know Buck Showalter's experience, but the, the long time 
you know, elderly baseball man that's been in the game for you know so many decades. You get that guy, but in a bench coach role, which I think is perfect to pair with the exuberant first-time manager. So I really like what they did with that hire in particular. And they also filled out the rest of their staff. I will address who else got hired in just a minute. First, though, another word from our sponsors. All right, so now the coaching staff seems to be complete. They might still add, you know, coaching staffs are getting bigger and bigger in the game today. So who knows? There might still be another assistant hitting coach or an assistant pitching coach that is added on here. But all the main roles are filled. So you got manager, Carlos Mendoza. Bench coach, John Gibbons. Pitching coach, Jeremy Hefner returns to that role. Hitting coach, Eric Chavez was the bench coach last year. He goes back to his previous role from the 2022 Mets where he was the hitting coach and the Mets had so much success with him as the hitting coach. So it's good that he stays in the fold and it's back in that role. And you know, I think they're calling it the co-hitting coach with Jeremy Barnes because he was the hitting coach this past season. He was the assistant to Chavez uh, in 2022. So those two guys stay in place. I do think a level of continuity is good especially when you bring in you know, the first-time manager in Mendoza that's going to bring a whole new level of energy to the club. And then also having this you know, experienced bench coach come in, I think that's important too, You know, to, to have that, I hate to call it adult in the room when all these other coaches are in their 40s, but still to have that elder statesman there. I really like that, that core. And then you go to the, the base coaches. Uh, they add Mike Sarbo. Lee, that's how you say it. Uh, he was the, the third base coach for the Cleveland Guardians and their infield coach, dating back to uh, 2013. So 11 seasons with the Guardians, serving under Terry Francona. Uh, and remember who played for the Guardians for a long time? The starting shortstop of the New York Mets. So to, to have that connection, I'm sure that'll be good for Lindor. Uh, I'm sure you know, a guy that was really fond of Buck Showalter to get one of his former coaches. I bet that that goes a pretty long way for him. And a guy that, you know, has held that particular job for over a decade of being, you know, both a third base coach and an infield coach. I feel really good about that. They didn't get first timers in any of these other spots. Their first base coach is Antone Richardson, who served as the first base coach with the Giants, as well as the base running and outfield coach. I'm sure he'll do the same thing with the Mets. So another guy that was serving in that role just last season. So you're not having... Anybody else who's getting their first crack, it's not a first-time pitching coach or first-time hitting coach or first-time third-base coach. It's experience across the board, and the one place where you have the first-timer, it's your manager. And I think that's the perfect way to have a really experienced staff around that first-time manager to protect them a little bit. So I really like all the moves that the Mets made. I also like that they kept uh, you know, all of these hires pretty hush-hush. Like there wasn't... Uh, a big, you know, sense of reporting on who the bench coach was going to be. The only one was Willie Randolph. Uh, you know, they mentioned him, and then because you know, Carlos Mendoza had said something in the press conference about him, and they ended up just, you know, coming out at some point and saying he's not in consideration. But other than that, there wasn't a bunch of reporting. Never heard John Gibbons' name until it was announced. Never heard 
you know, any of the base coach names, any of it. Um, it just, as the hires were made, it was released. So I like the fact that, you know, this organization right now has been pretty tight lipped with what they're doing. That's always a good sign uh, of a strong foundation that you have. Um, I also didn't mention Glenn Sherlock will also be back as the catching coach. Uh, he obviously did great work with Francisco Alvarez last season. So to have him in place, also to have John Gibbons in place as the bench coach with Alvarez, I think this is a really good coaching staff for Lindor with the Guardians tie, you know, getting the third base coach. And I think it's a really good staff for Alvarez uh, to really keep bringing him along. And he's such a big part of what the Mets are going to be, not only this season, but really, you know, you'd hope for the next decade. So to, to really be able to keep coaching him up, I, I like what the Mets have done here. But it's Thanksgiving. I don't want to take too much of your time discussing the Mets coaching staff. I thought it was worth it to do a show to break all that down. And I do have one final segment for you. Uh, that relates to yesterday's show. I put a poll up on YouTube. Which trade package would the listeners, or in this case, the viewers on YouTube, want me to break down uh, in further detail when it comes to the prospects that have to go out? The winning trade was the Tyler Glass now deal. So I'm going to break that down in a minute. First, though, another word from our sponsors. Now, for those of you who missed yesterday's show, I broke down three creative trades I came up with that would address multiple needs for the Mets, where they would add a pitcher and a hitter. And you know, the three trades were one with the Rays, which we'll discuss a little bit more in a minute here, another one with the White Sox that had Eloy Jimenez and Michael Kopech coming back to the Mets, and then the third trade, which was the most spicy, uh, was Freddie Peralta and Christian Yelich coming back to the Mets. So of those three trade packages, I asked the listeners or the viewers on YouTube on a poll which one they wanted to see me break down in further length, break down the trade package it would take to acquire the player. And that's what we're going to talk about raised in a second here. But before that, I want to let you all know about becoming a Locked On Mets insider because those of you who have already subscribed today got my three trade packages for all of them. Um, also, when Jack Gibbons got hired, the first thing I did Let's go to subtext and send out an update to all the Locked On Mets insiders. So if you want to be inside the scoop with everything going on with the Mets and going on with the show, make sure you find the link in the episode description or go to subtext.com slash Locked On Mets to become a Locked On Mets insider. All right, so let's look at the one trade that uh, the viewers on YouTube most wanted me to break down further. It got 52% of the vote. Uh, then the second up was the Brewers trade with over 30%. And Whatever was left came to the White Sox trade. No surprise there. That's more of the lottery ticket uh, aspect, just getting guys hoping for a bounce back, guys that have health concerns, which is actually in kind of all of these trades, really. Um, the Brewers trade was the one that's going to cost the most. I said from the beginning on yesterday's show, the Rays trade was the most realistic one. Tyler Glass, now Manuel Margot. Getting these two players would help the Rays, or you know, taking them off the Rays' hand would help them because they make a lot of money. And the Rays typically don't operate with a payroll over $100 million. And they're way north of that right now. So if they're able to move these two guys, they would get that payroll under $100 million, which would allow them to either reinvest or you know, maybe they continue to use trades to, to retool their roster. But they have a lot of talent in place. They have a 40-man roster crunch anyway. 
They can absorb the loss of Glassnow and Margot, and they would like to move that money, but they also want to get prospects back in return. And to, to figure out a package, it is difficult because Margot should weigh things down. There's no doubt about that. You are taking $10 million for the Rays on a player that at this point is a fourth outfielder at best. With that said, this is a market that's going to really value starting pitching, particularly on the trade market when all of these you know, top flight free agent starters get locked up elsewhere. There's going to be some teams that are left uh, an arm or two short that are going to have to go to the trade market. And that's where the Rays are going to sit in a prime position with a pitcher that does have his injury history, but is only on a one-year deal. So the long-term risk isn't there as far as you know trading for a player that is making $25 million over three more seasons. There'd be some more risk. This is just one season. You get a really top flight rental that is, you know, hoping to make the most of a contract year. Glass now could have a lot of teams bidding for his services. And that's why you have to make a little bit more of an aggressive trade offer than I, I think on the surface you would expect for absorbing this much money. Now, the Mets might be the only team that's willing to take Margot back in the deal. And that could really tip the scale for them. But I still think you have to give up one prospect at least. That hurts. And in this case, I threw out two to my Locked On Mets insiders today. Two prospects in this deal. It was Mike Vassell and Kevin Parada. Now, feels like a lot. Absolutely. And maybe that's just the trade package for Glass now alone. And Margot might lessen it. Or maybe instead of Vassell, it's Tyler Stewart. Or maybe instead of you know, that, it's, it's Calvin Ziegler. It's just you know, a lottery ticket arm for them that they like lower down the system, maybe outside of the top 30, and Kevin Parada could be the big piece because you're taking so much money. But at the same time, if three or four teams are in the bidding on glass now, you know, they might like the trade with the Mets because they give up uh, or they get Margot off the books too, but they're also not going to take a significantly less uh, trade package to, to get the deal done. So that's why I had Vassal and Parada because it's two prospects that would mean a lot. Uh, for the Rays to get back. But with that said, they're not these slam dunk prospects either. You're not trading Drew Gilbert, Luis and Helicuna, Jet Williams, even Ryan Clifford, uh, and Callan Houck, the guy you just drafted this past year. Like You're still keeping a lot of the prospects I think you want to hold on to, including Blade Tidwell and Christian Scott, who are two pitchers that, if you look at the Mets' top 30 uh, by MLB Pipeline and MLB.com, they have Mike Vassell as the top pitching prospect in the system. I just don't agree with that. I think Blade Tidwell should be the top pitching prospect in the system with his upside. I think Christian Scott shouldn't be too far behind. I think those are the top two guys in my eyes right now. Vassal struggled a lot in Triple A this year. Still, he's close and he doesn't need a 40 man roster spot this season. So the Rays are going to really value that aspect of it. Not needing to add him to the 40, letting this year play out, see how he pitches. It's a safe bet for them on a guy that, you know, could be in their rotation in 2025, or maybe they can find a way to maximize them in one of those either bullpen roles or the, the multi-inning chunk roles that they have. Uh, they're a team that I think would really maximize a guy like Vassal. And Kevin Parada, while he's still you know, ranked by some in the top five, I don't have a lot of confidence in, in him as a prospect at this stage. Like, <laughs> I think I would rather, and fans are going to hate me for this take, but hey, my show i can say what i want here i prefer mark vientos over kevin parada like i would rather keep mark vientos in a trade like this because 
I I have a pretty good idea, despite what he did this season, that Kevin that not Kevin Pryor, that Vientos can still have some upside with the bat as a DH. Parada is a catcher that's not great at catching, who had a bad season offensively, really struggled in the Arizona Fall League. And I just have my questions about his ability. He was great in college, but his ability to adjust to, to major league pitching when he gets to that point. So in this case, you're taking whatever trade value has left and sending him out. But also the Rays could hate Kevin Prada. The Rays could have had scouts of the Arizona Fall League that saw him looked overmatched and might not want him. And that's where maybe you have to trade someone further down the line, like Marco Vargas, who you got in the David Robertson trade. Um, one of those type of guys that's you know still, oh, for Vargas, just graduated from the complex, was in St. Lucie at the end of the season. Still far away. They might want the far away prospects because their system's so good. Uh, so it's tough to really pinpoint it exactly because I, I feel like the the Rays, their scouts would have you know, two to three names. It, it might even be one of those trades that you can't mock because it would be, you know, some international signs that you made that people aren't even thinking about that are further down the line, but they just love player X. You know, they might just. Do that. They might just say, hey, give us three lottery tickets, take all this money, and we're good. I still think it's the most realistic trade because Glass now is such a perfect fit. And because the Mets are one of these teams that could not only absorb his salary, but also absorb Marco's salary along with it. Anyway, that's enough Mets talk for the day. I think some of you might have wondered, have I forgotten about it? No, I do want to wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. Figured I'd close the show there. Uh, I do... Always, every Thanksgiving, if you go back and listen to the show, I always take the the minute to thank you all for allowing me to do this. There's no show if you guys don't tune in. So I really do appreciate it. Uh, that's why I'm doing a show today for Thanksgiving, because I know there's some of you that have made this show part of your routine, whether that's walking the dog or for like my dad, every time he goes on his run, he tunes in. Uh, I just want to make sure that Monday through Friday, you get your episode of Locked On Mets. There's always something to talk about on this uh, incredible team. Uh, they're not always incredible on the field, but they're always interesting. They're always compelling. And I'm now going in on my sixth season covering the New York Mets. And March will be five full calendar years covering the Mets for Locked On. And I am just so blessed and thankful to, to have this seat. And I really do appreciate it. So. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Enjoy a great meal with your families today and all that time to get to spend with them over the extended weekend here. And uh, make sure you are following wherever you get your podcast, subscribing on YouTube as I'll be back with another show on Friday. I'm not quite sure. I think I could go. We'll see. I think we might do a Yamamoto show. I was, I was kind of thinking about it today just because there were some comments that were made by the agent and the market for him is just ridiculous. So I wanted to get into that a little bit. So that's what we'll probably do. One more Yamamoto show to, to kick you off into the weekend. Uh, so again, make sure you're following along for that. Follow me on X at Finkelstein Ryan. Uh, follow the show at Locked on Mets.